Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views, premium seats in all rows, and connected tech, while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy nonstop routes to summer, because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to $3,500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, 3500 on 2020 row consists of 3000 cash back and 500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 76-2020. Gary Hoffman. Yeah. You feel it, baby? Shannon Farron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. The good news is, as many as 100 different health workers in Northern California could have been exposed to the coronavirus patient that's now at UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento. So, I mean, what's the worst that could could happen? Um, I think every time we're going to mention coronavirus today, we need to make sure that we still say... The flu flu is more dangerous than the coronavirus as of yet, so far. But this thing appears to be spreading faster than anybody expected and in more ways than anybody expected. You're being so. an alarmist. I'm not. You, you know, are. Look well, at that map of the world right now on CNN and look just, at every single country affected. Yeah, but that, even with one, every country is red if you have a case. China's not more red because they have 80,000 cases. It's just that... We were just uh, talking off the air, Gary and I, about... uh, I said to him, so I coughed twice yesterday as I was walking to my car in the garage. And And thought it was over. And thought it was... uh, I was done. This is where it starts happening. This is happening now. And then you said you cleared your throat in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's the same thing. Just like I woke myself up, cleared my throat, and then went... You do, oh, no! You do look a little pale today. The lights are off in here. That's, is that what it is? Or is yeah, it why because, my, they, is it because my sunburn is fading? Maybe that's what it was. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, we will talk more about uh, coronavirus, the financial impact of it. The Dow right now is down about 500 points. And uh, that, you know, obviously we've got three hours left in the trading day, so there could be plenty of uh, different action, more positive action, we can hope, on the stock market. But... Just to give you an idea, uh, Mexico's assistant health secretary says that country now has two confirmed cases of the coronavirus and coronavirus uh, 
fear has shown how stupid we are. 38% of Americans now say they will not drink Corona beer. Stop it. That's really depressing to me. 38%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we are a dumb people. We are. A, that is a, you should go buy some just to prove that you're not dumb. Well, we have covered this case extensively on KFI ever since May 22nd, 2013, or shortly after when we found out about eight-year-old Gabriel Fernandez and the hell that that little boy went through and all of the red flags that were ignored, noted, but then ignored. The um, Netflix has a six-part docu-series that came out just this week called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. And boy, is it hard to watch. Man, I got through two episodes last night. I'm not looking forward to the other four only because, I mean, I, I know how it ends. It, I mean, I, I know the frustrations of, of the story itself, but it's one of those where I felt going into it like, That's part of the reason why you should be watching it. Well, and the other thing that has shocked me about this series is the fact that I know all the details. I reported on all the details. We chronicled all of the abuse that this kid went through extensively through the news department when it happened. But yet. It's still shocking. It's still shocking. I want to play for you just a quick uh, minute and a half or so an interview that was in the very first episode. With Christine Estes, one of the emergency room nurses. And that's the first time that you have a second to breathe and think. She's talking about, sorry, she's talking about Gabriel had just been taken away by the children's hospital medical team that came to take care of him. And that's the first time that you have a second to breathe and think, holy crap, what just happened? And at that moment, that's when it would just hit me. But no, in the moment, you, you don't have time for that. You can't think, you can't stop, you can't get emotional. Because he needs you. I remember the first time I ever did CPR on a kid. I'll always remember it, and it was horrible. But it didn't affect me like this. Now, that's just an example. Christine Estes, an emergency room nurse, she's seen the worst of the worst. And that was just one of the people that was interviewed that dealt with Gabriel Fernandez that day, that night, and said it's unforgettable, it's indelible, it will forever be etched in their memory. Joining us now is the director of this Netflix series, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, Brian Knappenberger. Thanks for your time, Brian. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Hey, you were able to start this uh, production during the trials of Gabriel's mom and her boyfriend. Um, Mom eventually pleaded guilty. Uh, Boyfriend was found guilty. How how did you even start? How did you even think that this was going to be uh, worth the documentary that you made? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I I, uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. I know you guys have covered this story in detail for a while. And uh, we looked at a lot of that coverage when we were uh, trying to get uh, up to date on it. But um, it started for me when, um, you know, I read some of the articles in the L.A. Times and we asked Judge George Lamelli if we could bring our cameras into the courtroom. Um, We wanted to see what this was about. And and, uh, I'm glad you played that clip from Christine Estes, because those first few days in the courtroom, that was pretty representative of it. We saw first responders 
over and over again saying that that you know in 20 years of working as first responders i mean imagine what they what they've seen on a day-to-day basis um just to a person this case stood out to them and stuck with them and was and became you could tell it was really really personal so those first few days in the courtroom were gut-wrenching uh emotional um, really, really jaw-dropping, and and so that's that's kind of how we, we you know we were filming first before Netflix or anybody else was involved, and we just thought this is something that people need to hear. And then of course, um, you know, every time you had an answer in this case, uh, you, you you had two more or three more questions. Uh, the mystery kind of kept getting deeper. Of course, the social workers were uh, charged criminally here, um, and then uh, even that was kind of the beginning. So we used it as a way of looking at. Uh, how this happened and some of the system-wide problems. Now, as you detail in in the series, it wasn't just the abuse of Gabriel Fernandez that was highlighted, but it sounds like a cycle of abuse in the family. Yeah, it was important to us. I mean, it was easy to look at Pearl uh, Fernandez and Osaro Aguirre as monsters, um, and, and, and I, I, they are. Uh, it's unimaginable that they could do this to some to a young boy. But it was also important to us to, to figure out, well, why, where did they come from? And to kind of look deeper, you know, in a six part series, you want to, you want to, you want to look for, for those kinds of answers. And so we did look back at uh, their history. Um, it, was, it was a little tough to find the sorrow Aguirre. We, there were some people uh, taking his defense as character witnesses on the stand. We, we tried to find out about his backstory. Pearl's backstory is a little more clear um, she uh, she had heavy drug abuse as a very very young when she was very very young. Um, she was also abused herself. Um, not that that cycle, uh, of course, um, excuses anything, but I, I think it made it more uh, complex and, and and shed some light on on this. Brian, can you hang on for just a couple seconds? We have a quick break we need to take, but I got a bunch of more questions about this. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Brian Knappenberger, executive producer and director of The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, this docuseries that's shown up on Netflix, uh, all about the death of that eight-year-old boy from uh, from the Palmdale-Lancaster area and the cases that uh, came out of it, not just the case against his own mother and her boyfriend, but the cases against the social workers who were involved in the whole case beginning up uh, from years ago. Gary and Shannon, more coming up. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Schools across the country canceling trips abroad now, preparing online lessons, rethinking those perfect attendance awards as they deal with the possibility that the new coronavirus will begin spreading in our communities. At the bottom of next hour, we're going to talk more about this uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department and now the Fire Department investigating whether or not Some of their officers and firefighters may have taken pictures at the Kobe Bryant crash scene and then shared them with other people. You're going to hear about this with every high-profile case moving forward. It's just where we are in 2020 with people documenting everything. They got their phones everywhere they go. Exactly. We are talking with Brian Knappenberger, who is the director and executive producer of The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, the story that is... uh, I mean, just absolutely rocked Los Angeles County and the L.A. County bureaucracy to its core. The death of an eight-year-old boy 
after years of severe abuse. One of the most frustrating things about the story and the tragedy is the fact that there were red flags and people saw them and people that are supposed to be in the business of protecting children in this county completely failed at their job and were eventually held accountable for that. Brian, when you talk about it, I mean, even in the first episode, there's sort of a barely scratching the surface of what was a humongous problem in L.A. County, specifically in the Department of Children and Family Services. Uh, How big is it? I mean, is there a way to describe just how big the problem was? Well, it's it's enormous, and, and we spend you know a good deal of the, the other episodes sort of taking that apart and trying to figure out where all the breakdowns were. Um, you know, I, I think you know one of the the, the the first line of defense I think has gotten a lot of attention. Obviously, is that the social workers, the social workers here, and, and by the way, they're incredible social workers in Los Angeles, all in it for the right reasons. I think in in this case, you know, the social workers made errors um, serious enough for actual criminal charges to be to be brought against them. Um, you know, charges were criminal neglect and falsification of records. But, you know, I also think we we uh, look at, we ask some of the questions, uh, you know, the bigger questions. Do they have the resources, social workers in general have the resources and support they need to do what we're asking them to do? And, you know, from there we look at, um, you know, some of these sort of private uh, public partnerships. There was a uh, private contractor that played a role in this. Uh, we try to examine that, um, and we, we just sort of look at a broad – one of the really staggering things about Gabriel is that the story of this young boy really does bring up fissures all throughout the county um, and questions that we had all throughout the county. And, and, and I think some of those questions were um, about transparency uh, around these issues so that, that people know about them. You mentioned uh, in an interview that I saw with Entertainment Weekly that you actually gave – uh, both Gabriel's mother and her boyfriend, a special phone number that they could contact you if they wanted to take part in this, but but you didn't hear from them. What would you have – listen, as a journalist, I can understand the necessity and the, the importance of talking to them, but I don't even know how you begin. What would you ask them? Well, well – I, I felt it was that, that's a good question. I did. I did actually. Um, you know, we, there's a system by, where you can talk to people. They can call you if they're in jail, and uh, we signed up for that system. I carried around a set of questions in my in my uh, in my pocket in case because you never quite know where they're gonna when they're you know when they could call call at any time. So we did open up that line of communication. Um, you know, I would have I would have uh, listened to them uh, and tried to figure out where they were coming from. And uh, you know, I can't say that 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 uh, we would have that would have warranted you know come up with any answers or shed any light on it. But I did feel like it was important, very important to get at least open up that line of communication to to so that they could tell their story um, if they chose to. They just never chose to call me. Did they ever testify? Uh, did we ever hear anything from them? It's really one of the most baffling things, at least for me as a viewer of this trial and someone who sat in every day. I don't know why Saro Aguirre didn't take uh, the, the the stand in his own defense. It's a death penalty case. Um, he, um, I actually think because we got extraordinary access to the jurors as well uh, in, in this and talking to them, I actually think it might have uh, made a difference as they were mulling over this um, choice about whether to give him the death penalty or not. Um, it's it's baffling. I don't. I don't. I I, I think it's. I think it's. Um, 
I think it's a real question. I, I don't know why he wouldn't have taken the, the stand in his own defense. We did hear from Pearl during the sentencing, the final sort of sentencing hearing. She read a statement, um, but uh, it, was, it was a sort of prepared statement. It was pretty short. Um, but other than that, um, they have largely uh, not chosen not to talk about this. What kind of toll has diving into all of the details of this taken on you as as a filmmaker, but as a person? Because it, it really is hard to get through. And I know that you were much deeper in it than any of us are watching this docuseries. Well, it's 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 it was quite an emotional journey for us, and I think that that's not just me, but the rest of our production team and and, and even people at Netflix that that supported us throughout. But really, you know, the production team involved with this on the day to day basis, this was this became a really really personal and important uh, story for everybody. We all felt so kind of emotionally invested in it, and it was exhausting and very intense. And we but we just felt like it was necessary to get this story out, and that it was important that the that the public knew what happened here. Um, I, I think the toll was bad. I mean, I'm a father myself. I have a, a seven-year-old boy. Um, Gabriel was eight when he died. And so I think it, you know, it touches you on a much deeper level. You know, if you're a parent, um, I mean, who knows? As a, I've been making films forever. I've maybe not even taken on this, this uh, project if I wasn't a parent. Um, but, um, you know, we just felt a real obligation to um, to get this story out and a sense that by getting it out, if we could, and giving it a platform that it's gotten, which has been extraordinary. Gabriel Fernandez was the second most searched term across all of Google the day we came out. Um, and uh, so to give it a platform like that, we all just had a kind of faith that it would, that it would, it would create some change, a uh, much-needed change. Were there any surprises? We mentioned going into this last segment that we've both talked about this case. You obviously have done a lot of research on this case. And as you're going through there, was there any surprise about something that you hadn't known or something that took you by surprise while you were doing the research? Uh, yeah, the, the story about one story that we heard that started as a testimony in the trial was the story of Arturo, uh, the security guard at DPSS in, in Antelope Valley. And, uh, you know, after you hear a lot of people saying, oh, we didn't we didn't know we believed Pearl Fernandez that these that this abuse could have happened in other ways. Uh, We didn't know it was happening. All that you you hear a lot of people saying, well, we weren't sure that this was a big, you know, Arturo Miranda, security guard, um, saw Gabriel for about 10 minutes and he just made it his mission to try to save him. And um, he knew he understood what was happening. And his courage was really, really, uh, really, really mind-blowing, actually. Um, we were really inspired by him. And he brought up um, the, you know, the, some of the hurdles that he ran into trying to, trying to get Gabriel's story out and to contact authorities. And that involved a third-party contractor that was involved with this named Maximus that, um, that, uh, that, that, that he says uh, in testimony, you know, in some ways tried to thwart those actions of him getting out. So that was really surprising to us. And we did, we filed lots of uh, Freedom Information Act requests and stuff to try to learn more about this. That, that stuff that's in the documentary um, that I think is new. It's, it's breaking news stuff. So um, that part surprised us. But I, I, you know, I was also surprised at the lack of transparency on the part of DCFS and the Board of Supervisors. We really tried to, to get them to talk about this. And um, they buttoned up. They, they really, they really uh, 
declined every i mean over the course of a year and a half we we said look we just want to know what you what you what happened here what uh what you're doing now that might address some of the issues that led to gabriel and they just declined to talk to us. We've, we've I, had the I same. Really we've had the same roadblock set up for yeah. us for years. We have tried so much to get a supervisor on just to say, "Hey, we screwed up, and here's what we're doing to correct it." And they will not come on. It, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Isn't it better to say we screwed up and ha- this is how we're going to fix it yeah. than to just uh, decline to talk to? I mean, that lack of transparency. I, I it's really almost like the boyfriend normal. not testifying. Not- you know, it's yeah. like, you know, somebody say something about what went wrong here. Uh, it, it really is frustrating. Oh, man. I, I think instead they look at it as a, as a kind of PR um, problem that, or any criticism. It, it's really, really disappointing. And they missed an enormous opportunity to to talk about this case and to talk about what they're doing and all of that. I, I really think they missed it. This is an enormous platform. And they and we would have listened to them. We were genuinely interested in hearing what happened. Current director Bobby Cagle wasn't around when um, Gabriel died, so he actually seems to be in a perfect position to understand how the department has changed since that. Well, it's not an easy watch. It's not comfortable. Uh, it, it's difficult, but maybe that's why it should be required viewing for anybody that deals with LA County, especially if anybody has uh, contact with DCFS or works for the county or the supervisors it's uh it's very important brian again we appreciate your work and we appreciate you coming on with us thanks a lot and thanks for your continued coverage on this uh over over time hey it's if, an important story you if guys, anything happens you, you let us know thank you you bet brian knappenberger director and executive producer again of the new netflix documentary called the trials of gabriel fernandez well i know you're not trying to look at it but we're looking at it for you the dow down 575 we'll talk about coronavirus and the economic impact when we come back KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. San Marino High School has canceled what was going to be an active shooter drill today. Did you hear this one? They were going to do 11 minutes of firing blanks to get the kids accustomed to gunshot sounds. Oh, my God. And finally, someone said, hey, you know what? That's probably not a great idea. Um... So San Marino High School was going to do a, an active shooter drill. They decided not to. One of the Harvey Weinstein jurors sat down for an interview with Gail King. She's getting some work. And uh, an interesting take on uh, from this guy. Not what you would expect out of a modern-day jury. For some reason, we have this impression that a lot of modern-day jurors are boneheads who can't get out of it. This guy was uh, pretty well-spoken. We'll hear from uh, from him what they went through in that jury room figuring out the guilty verdicts against uh, Harvey Weinstein. Well, we're looking at Wall Street and it's not good news. Uh, as the World Health Organization raises coronavirus threat level to very high, the Dow down 738. 
Experts still say this is not going to lead to a recession, that we were at highs on Wall Street, and that, as you've heard, we are still in what they call correction territory. I don't know how much of that is nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Let's pretend this isn't happening so that there's not more panic. Well, I've, I, heard it, I heard it described like this, um, the difference between the Dow Jones Industrial Average specifically and the rest of the economy. You've got, for example, a car driving down the road, which is the economy. And then you've got some kid flying a kite out of the back seat. Sometimes that kite will maintain the same speed and trajectory as the car. And other times it's going to wildly go out of control, even though it is technically anchored to the rest of the economy. What we see in the Dow Jones Industrial Average may not be the greatest indicator of what's going to happen over the next couple of months, because even if even if things in China do go south, it's going to not hit here for several more weeks, probably, if not a couple of months. Or what we're seeing in China is just the tip of the iceberg and, you know, a 3000 point drop over the course of three or four days is ridiculously indicative of what is going to happen. And we're all in for an absolute mess over the next couple of months. I mean, I, I don't think anybody who says one way or the other has any clue. They're just pulling uh, fingernails out of their. Never mind. Back pocket. I'll say back pocket. That's an interesting turn of phrase. I don't know what it means. Fingernails out of their buttocks is what you were going to say. They're clenched a little tight. Why are there fingernails in there? Because they're like, "Ah, holding on to my own. And then the sphincter closes right on. You're very creative this morning. There are seven stocks that have risen in price in the past week. Clorox. Clorox is one. And the other two... Uh, that are at the top of the list are biotech companies who are working on the vaccine. Uh, makes perfect sense. Yes. That does make sense. Um, the other thing is that the administration, specifically Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, has suggested that you and I and anyone ignore the media coverage of the coronavirus, saying that we, the media, are simply ratcheting up fears to try to hurt President Trump politically. Yeah, the president is accusing Democrats of unfairly blaming the threat of coronavirus on his administration. There is a there is the problem is there's a little bit of truth in in all of this. The president immediately took some steps to curtail the travel of people from China into the United States. It's probably a good move. The other thing is um putting somebody like Mike Pence in charge of this doesn't make any sense. So Democrats may have a point where two and a half billion dollars might not be enough to cover what we could need. But at the same time, you can't just criticize. You you can't just lay blame on the president for something that he clearly has no control over as of yet. Just after midnight, he went on Twitter and said, so the coronavirus, which started in China and spread to various countries throughout the world, but very slowly in the U.S. because President Trump closed our border and ended flights very early, is now being blamed by the do-nothing Democrats to be the fault of Trump. And then a half an hour later... He says the do-nothing Democrats were busy wasting time on the immigration hoax and anything else they could do to make the Republican Party look bad while I was busy calling border and flight closings, putting us way ahead of our battle with coronavirus. Dems called it very wrong. 
<laughs> uh, He's just one of those other guys that's up at 12.30 tweeting. The president of the United States. I don't know where we are or what we're doing. <laughs> I honestly have zero... <laughs> I mean, could you imagine years ago thinking, first of all, saying that guy, you know, the guy, remember that guy who hosts The Apprentice on TV, that that guy's going to be the president of the United States of America. And, and get this, you thought SARS was bad or MERS or swine flu or any of those things was crazy. You wait till you see COVID-19. People are going to lose their freaking minds about this. And the locusts. The locusts are, listen, now locusts have a natural enemy. Did you know this? Did you know the whole duck thing and locusts? No, I don't know what you're talking about. To me, you're Gavin Newsom right now. You're like locusts and ducks. <laughs> They're bringing ducks into Africa to fight the locust swarms that have devastated crops there. I had no idea that ducks had that superpower. They look so innocuous floating on the water eating the breadcrumbs. And they're going to be really fat pretty soon. And then yeah, they'll not be able locusts. to get off the ground. And then the other locusts will eat them. I'm worried about the ducks. Ew having coronavirus what because they're from china oh are they really or are you just making that, that is, they are that is pretty racist for you to suggest that the ducks well, simply it, because they're oh, from china okay. all right remember we're not going to turn into xenophobes or racists or ethnicists simply because the wuhan virus started in China. It did start in China. Yeah, but that's and, being and a little there bit. There was a dog in China that tested positive for. I'm going to correct you there. It was Hong Kong specifically. Okay. So the Hong Kong canine flu is also speciesist because you're suggesting that only okay. dogs. All right. Yeah, I'm a terrible person. Well, it's about time we did some mirror time, isn't it? <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Uh, what? Let's cleanse our palate with some good Harvey Weinstein talk when we come back. Nice. Amy oh, King. This sucks. Forever changed by old school. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere what on the iHeartRadio app. Brilliant touch that was to that movie. Mm. I watched that again. It's so good. And then one of the things that you don't notice the first 17 times you see that movie <laughs> yes. are the massive headshots of both the bride and the groom at the wedding <laughs> that are hung up behind the table. That's not happening. Love you, Dad. Right, fellas? <laughs> That's not. You guys don't have oh. massive headshots of Blake yourself. Blake might. Or... Blake might. It might just be a picture of Blake alone at his wedding. What do you think, Blake? Is yeah, a- totally. Like you're getting married in a church. I'm not. Oh, you're not? No. Oh, oh, that's right. You're not. No. I thought you were. Um, I was going to say because if you shh, stop it, if you we were, read your story, when, it's a novel. It is a novel. I wrote for a while on that one. Why? Why? Yeah. It was fun. It entertained me. While was, I was there doing it. was there no one who said, "Hey, three paragraphs is probably good"? 
No, I asked Mikey. I said, hey, you want one of these? And she's like, oh, yeah, we should probably have one of those. I said, all right, I'll ride it. She's like, cool. Pretty much I love her outspokenness. I love that she really gets in there. Well, how is she supposed to get a word in? (laughs) (laughs) But so just to be clear, no massive posters of your faces, right? No, it's a full body cutout. Cardboard, like full body. I believe that this is true. Is this true? (laughs) No. Oh. I could totally see that. Is Nick, that a clothed you, cutout? Nick, Nick and his uh, to, betro- to be betrothed, betrothed. Yeah. Uh, will uh, is it true that you guys are doing pinatas of each other? Yes. And then you're gonna beat the pinatas. We're gonna beat the pinatas. I'd love to see what comes out of you. Candy. It's just candy. We'll see. One of the twelve jurors who found Harvey Weinstein guilty of rape in a criminal sex act said that they did focus on the law and the testimony, and that it wasn't uh, a verdict based on the Me Too movement. Yeah, and this was an interesting thing because I don't know how you separate that, even as a juror. You don't. Juries always say this. Oh no, we're very serious. We only took in, in consideration the, the evidence, evidence that, that was presented. That was presented, but you know. When I um when I was on a jury a few years ago, a civil jury, it was a case against the it was a lawsuit against the city. Uh, somebody had driven a ridden a motorcycle into a oh god that sounds city truck just boring as hell. And the guy who was on the motorcycle suffered life altering traumatic brain injury as a result of it. And mm. the they were suing the city because the, the truck wasn't supposed to be there. Whatever it was, um, the attorney that the city hired was such an a hole. And I mean, just unapologetic a-hole, tearing into the family, tearing into this guy, pretending that he was faking his injury and everything while sitting at the uh, defense table, the, the the plaintiff's table. And uh, just, I mean, so unlikable. And you as a juror were not supposed to take that into consideration when you, number one, find that the city was totally liable for the uh, for the accident. And number two, determining what sort of monetary um, compensation this guy's supposed to get for care for the rest of his life. I don't know how you could. Now, I was an alternate, so I didn't get to sit in on the deliberations. But how could you not think that that guy was an a-hole and the city needed to be punished for hiring him? Well, we're all human, and yeah. you're going to take all of that into consideration, of course. This guy's name was Drew, or is Drew. He was juror number nine. Gail King sat down with him on CBS this morning and talked about the, the two pieces that I pulled were – Number one, asking about Harvey Weinstein in jail, who cares? And number two, about that Me Too, uh, Me Too movement and whether it had any play or any, I guess, impact on their decision. Okay, you're not going to be involved in the sentencing, but you do have an opinion. About you know, I could say that once, um, you think a man of, of his age and of his current health, uh, general population at Rikers sounds like a pretty dangerous place. That's that's really all I can say about that. Too bad. So, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about what was the message the jury was trying to send. What is the message, Drew, the jury was trying to send? There is no message. We were there to do a job, to make a decision uh, based on the information that was presented to us. And we have absolutely no stance or voice or opinion as to any type of larger movement. That didn't factor into your decision at all? Zero. Now, if that's true, good for it. I mean, good for you not trying to make an example out of this guy. He's already made an example out of himself. But the the other thing was uh, the idea that 
they would for some reason be concerned about sentencing and what should happen to the guy. Who who cares? Right. Who cares how bad Rikers Island would be for Harvey Weinstein? Asked if the testimony that women can be sexually assaulted but still maintain contact with their attacker did factor into the decision. He said in the earlier parts of the deliberation, there was huge discourse about things of that nature. He was also uh, capable of pointing out, or I guess the jury was capable of figuring out, that this wasn't rape in the first degree. He said there was no physical compulsion with the threat of bodily harm or death, but there was no consent given despite a lack of physical resistance, and a reasonable person should have known that there was no consent given in that instance. Now, some people might consider that sort of a, uh, I don't know, a hackneyed way to go about getting this guy and convicting him of rape by saying it's not first degree. It was still bad. Um, but I don't think, you know, they have said that they have plans to appeal, um, that Weinstein's defense team said they have grounds for an appeal, but they haven't said what those grounds would be. So it's just one of those things we'll have to keep an eye on. All right, Mercy Hospital in Folsom is receiving a patient from Travis Air Force Base who has tested positive for coronavirus. We'll get more local when we talk about the threat coming up. Also, am I particularly hard to look at today? Because it's pitch black in here. Like, is there a reason you turned off all the lights when you came in here? Is it, am I a disaster over here? Do I need to fix my makeup? Have something in my teeth? What's going on? No. This has been a very dark day. The first hour, come on, you got to be honest, that was a pretty dark hour. Very dark. And now we're going to go talk about coronavirus again. Well, I didn't plan this show. Gary and Shannon will continue. I'm a fun bunny. Right after this. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. 1983 is our flashback Friday year for no reason at all. Although I just didn't think we had done it in a long time. I think that's right. I don't think we have. I think we've done 1999 and 2005 75 times apiece. Yes. 99 was a good year, we've determined. This is a good year, too. 83 is a good year. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I remember listening to this on uh, cassette. I don't think I've ever heard this song. Mr. Roboto? Oh, no, I have. It's the beginning that I was unfamiliar with. You like the Japanese part where he says things like, Domo arigato. Oh, we're going to be racist today? No, he says that in the song. Is that what I'm hearing? Domo arigato. The Dow is down 9.52. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, Nick says, is it at zero yet? When he comes in and takes a look at where we're at. We're no, Nick, we're not. That could happen. Spoken like somebody who has not been saving in his 401k. (laughs) I have been. You have been? Yes. Good. Yeah. I just, you know. Then you don't want it to get down to zero. I mean, I kind of just to see what would happen. I mean, I don't know. Just to see what would happen. right? Right. That'd be fun. I wonder what would happen if Russia and China teamed up and invaded the West Coast. I just, I wonder. <laughs> I'd like to see what would happen with that. 
Would we still play the baseball season or? Market watchers have said for months that stocks were heavily overpriced and long overdue for another pullback. It looks like financial health care stocks among the biggest losers in today's huge, broad market slide. Only energy, the worst performing sector this year, has held on to a tiny gain. And Clorox. Crude oil oil prices down 5% over worries that global travel and shipping will be severely hurt by this coronavirus. Um, Michael Bloomberg has said that the reason the stock market is plunging is because investors don't have confidence in the president managing the crisis. No, no, no. This is. No, that's not what that is. This is a whole lot different than that. And it's much larger than that. but you have to be careful. I got an email yesterday that said that we were simply parroting Republican talking points when we would say things like that. What? Like what? Like it's not because people don't have confidence in Trump managing the crisis. The if, stock if, if market you're, is – If you're counting on Donald Trump to contain coronavirus, you're a dumbass. You're you're doing it That's, wrong. That's yeah, exactly. That's not who is going to protect us from this. It's the science community, yeah. okay? It's the people racing to figure out a vaccine, racing to figure out how this thing is transmitted, how it's mutating the whole thing. That's who we should be relying on and putting our confidence in. And you're not looking <laughs> at the stock market and thinking to yourself, "Well, I'm going to take money out of American Airlines because of that guy." No, it's right. because you think American Airlines has stopped traveling to Asia. That's why. In Riverside, dozens of people are quarantined inside their homes due to potential coronavirus exposure. About 50 residents. None of them have been diagnosed, but they are self-monitoring. This, the number that I heard the governor say the other day when he gave his coronavirus speech was stunning, that there are about 8,000, 8,500 people who are being monitored here in California. And it may simply be that they traveled to Asia or they know somebody who traveled to Asia, someone in their family may have. But that 8,000 people are currently sort of either self-isolated or in some sort of an actual quarantine because of this. That's a whole lot of people, as Handel would like to say. Um, the, the city that's at the really the center of all of this as of right now is Vacaville. The woman who came down with coronavirus and is in being taken care of in Sacramento at UC Davis Medical Center was originally from Vacaville. And the concern is that she got it in what they they've been referring to as community transmission. There's no clear indicator where she would have gotten it from. Yes, there are people in nearby Travis Air Force Base who are under quarantine, but none of those people are testing positive for coronavirus. I think one did go to Folsom, you said, uh, the Mercy Medical Center there in Folsom, right. who did test positive. But that's after several days. I mean, they've, they've been at Travis Air Force Base for uh, almost a week now. The idea that that woman would have somehow gotten coronavirus from one of the Wuhan evacuees, or in that case, it was the cruise ship evacuees, seems pretty slim. But it proves that there are still contacts out there that would have coronavirus that you have to be careful of. You said this, the the president's not the one who's going to save us. It's going to be people in the science community who are going to explain where this comes from, how exactly it's transmitted, what the the incubation period might be for this, 
And then the simple things like uh, it's going to be also down to you and me where I have to wash my hands every once in a while. I have to not lick every handrail that I get into the, you know, when I stand in the elevator, stop you, you pressing cannot, the buttons with your tongue thing. You should stop licking the blood off of every boxer that you beat. Excellent point. I'll stop doing that immediately. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that before. But it's going to take a lot of personal responsibility. Oh, my God. I just said those words to make sure oh, that you yeah. don't fall prey to something really like this. quick. Uh, we don't deal in personal responsibility in 2020. We don't deal with that. Uh, things happen to us. We have no control over them. Oh, so like, in other words, like, like crack in the streets. Right. They fell. It fell into the hot pipe that was near my lips and I accidentally inhaled. Yes. Um, and that that entire thing of stuffed shells that I just ate accidentally fell. You ate that really quickly. Can I share that text exchange with our friends? So I just, text- yes, but just them. Oh, just okay. tell them. Right. No, I mean, you can. Oh, okay. So uh, you brought in some stuffed shells, some mm-hmm. delicious leftovers. Yeah. And it smelled incredible. They're good. And Nick and I both were salivating, wanting some of those stuffed shells. But you did not attend third grade. I did not make them available. You did not learn the lesson that you should bring some for the entire class. Right. So I got on the horn to your wife and I said, your husband did not bring enough stuffed shells for everyone. And we are all upset about it. And she said, you don't want those. He didn't tell you I made them over a week ago, did he? He will eat anything. Consequences be damned. And I said, my husband also eats expired food. And she said, yeah, it's real nice when he rolls the dice when he isn't the one that cleans the toilets. (laughs) She's hilarious. And I can't believe you make messes and don't clean up after yourself. Okay, that is my hero. Highly unlikely. However... I told you my plan. I'm going to make a concoction today that appears to be a life-ending illness. Oh, that smelled so good. And I'm going to paste the inside of one of those uh, one of those bowls today oh. and let her find it. Well, what if I like it in my peach grease? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I don't, I'm a little uncomfortable. The dice. Yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable with you guys. Teaming up against me. (laughs) Talking about your number twos. When we come back. It's big. (laughs) Jeez. When we come back. I'm leaving. The reason uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, is taking a toll on Hollywood. Can I look at yours, too? I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll do my latest entry into the log blog uh, about how things go <laughs> later on. Blake, you're very funny today. Um, <laughs> nice how, job, Ike. How, <laughs> having Alex Stone be your like hype guy when you're on the toilet is pretty Pinch funny. my nipples and look into my eyes. Yes. <laughs> All right, well. How can we not have a Friday when we're not eight? I don't know. We've don't never know. been able to do it. Just be careful what you wish for, because then something crazy is going to happen. We'll have to snap out of it. Oh, you're right. All right. Gary and Shannon. Seriously. I'm a part of elephant. Seriously. <laughs> Amy King. The Dow. People are losing their lives on the Dow right now. I know.
And Blake, anyway. Amy, what's happening? Opa. Like every time we go, oh, that was a good year in music. <laughs> Blake plays one of the best. I love this song. Oh, Are you oh, kidding? Man. This is a great song. I, I'm having a hard time not getting up and dancing right now. There's nothing stopping you. You'll make fun of me. Highly likely. You just. Mr. Crap uh, His Pants over there. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live <laughs> everywhere on the iHeartRadio app at the bottom of the hour. Some deputies and L.A. County firefighters could be in trouble. I, uh, apparently, they took pictures of the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash. I really hate everything about that story. I hate the fact that that happened, that there were pictures taken. I hate the fact that there was somebody who ratted out the deputies or the firefighters to somebody else. I hate the whole thing. But you know what? I think that's where we're headed in 2020 with documenting everything. And there has to be some serious rules that accompany the cell phone being an appendage. Well, we'll see. I, I, there's a good chance that those people could, I suppose, could lose their jobs, right? Um, we've been following, of course, COVID-19 coronavirus and what's been going on. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has been down all day again. Right now it's down 741 points. And at about 1 o'clock, we will do a quick check-in to see where this thing ends up. It could be, it could be the worst week for the Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, in twelve years if this continues. Hollywood, the studios are putting together kind of like crisis teams to figure out how this is going to affect them. They're thinking that it's going to cost tens of millions when it comes to box office revenue. Studios have already canceled plans for the premieres in China for films like Disney's Mulan and the James Bond picture, No Time to Die. And those alone, tens of millions in box office revenue because Hollywood is so big in China. It is a crucial place of business. I believe it's the second largest market outside yes. of North America when it comes to uh, when it comes to actual box office receipts. There's indications that a bunch of the movies, Mulan, uh, The Grudge, Onward, an animated show, that they'll delay their release in Italy as well because many of the movie theaters in Italy have closed out of fear of spreading coronavirus. Last year, China's box office hit a record $9.2 billion. Wow. I am... this is not just the movies themselves, but they're talking about the PR push that would go, you know, at Daniel Craig in Beijing or Shanghai or whatever to kick off the his James Bond movie. That's scuttled. You're not going to do any publicity tour through China. And you may even you may even scuttle the entire Pacific Rim when it comes to any sort of public relations campaign for that. Um Mulan specifically was one of those movies that they are expecting to, when it finally does come out, they're expecting it to resonate pretty well in China and other parts of Asia because it's an entire cast of Asian actors. And they're saying that because of what's been going on with COVID-19, they may not have this thing out for weeks or months even. And that is going to be potentially 
hundred, two hundred, four hundred million dollars that are lost as a result of this. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984, the Fast and Furious ninth movie, are among the major films that will debut in the coming months and had planned international huge rollouts. And all of those things have had to be rolled back because China, South Korea, Japan, and just about every single one of those events has been canceled as of so uh, as of yet. Uh, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, Disney also still expected to attend CinemaCon along with the stars of those upcoming movies. It's going to be held in Vegas at the end of March and is expected to bring people around the globe. Some of the Chinese companies apparently have have canceled uh, just as a matter of the fact that you can't get there from here or you can't get here from there. And this, you know, we've seen other international conferences be canceled as a result of the fear of what's going on. Disney is going to take a big hit. Of course, Walt Disney closed its themed resorts in Shanghai and Hong Kong. And in a recent earnings call, they said the closures would result in roughly $175 million hit to operating income in the second in the second quarter. All right. Come back. We'll tell you more about that L.A. County story. It looks like firefighters and sheriff's deputies who responded to the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and his daughter may have been snapping little pictures on their phones and sharing them with people. Gary and Shannon. scared because it was Katie Holmes or was you scared because it was Brahms? That's not Katie Holmes. Is it? You're watching the trailer for the first one. The new one's back. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Yes. There's, a, the there's a second Brahms the Boy movie? Yeah. yeah. It's out now. Well, the first one's just called The Boy. The second one is Brahms the Boy 2. I think I just planned my afternoon. <laughs> the first one was entertaining, I'll tell you that. I don't know if it was... I don't want to give it away. Oh, there's something to give away? No, yeah, there's something totally Totally, to give away. Oh, really? Totally. Oh, my gosh. Now you're hooked. I am. Uh, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live Everywhere. On the iHeartRadio app, Dow Jones Industrial Average down again. Right now it's down 653 points. Uh, The chairman of the Fed Reserve says that the economy is strong, but that uh, we are seeing some risks showing up because of the international response and dealing with the coronavirus as it goes around the world. Um, there are a handful of places that have seen some uh, some positive movement, even though most of the rest of the market has been uh, plagued by what we've been seeing in the response to coronavirus. So we'll keep an eye on that. One o'clock today is when the uh, market's closed for the week, and this may be... The worst week we've seen in 12 years on the stock market. There is a report in the L.A. Times about deputies from the sheriff's department sharing graphic images of victims remains and the scene of that helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and eight more. Sheriff's department told NBC L.A. the matter is being looked into The Sheriff's Information Bureau told City News last night that the department would not comment on the report. The Times says it's unclear how many people saw or received the photos without authorization. There's um, the when the L.A. Times did this story, they referred to a 
story from several years ago, the sheriff's department and its handling of the Mel Gibson drunk driving arrest. You remember the anti-Semitic remarks that he was making while he was yes. being arrested? Um, at, I think there's a difference because for this, and it may be a slim difference, but I think it's a difference because uh, those were published remarks. You know, th- those things that were involved in that arrest that were supposed to remain confidential, if you want to, I guess, uh, were then published and brought out into the public. I don't think anybody, no matter how gruesome they are, I don't think anybody is sharing the pictures of a helicopter crash and the gruesome discovery that these first responders made that morning for them to be published or broadcast or whatever. Right. There is a difference there. I mean, the 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 uh, private investigator, Anthony Pelicano, had paid off members of law enforcement agencies for confidential information there. And that's how the Mel Gibson thing went down. Uh, TMZ reports that one of the complaints to the sheriff's department came in from a bartender. Now, this bartender supposedly saw a sheriff's deputy showing the pictures or overheard him showing pictures to a woman that he was trying to impress at a bar. And that pissed the bartender off. The bartender calls and complains to the sheriff's department. I can imagine how that would piss you off. That's just so gross. Um, So TMZ also says that the fire department has been at least looking into reports that fire department personnel were sharing similar photos. And an update from TMZ from a couple hours ago was that the sheriff's department has known about this for a few weeks now. And that the trainee who did it, the trainee who showed the photos to the woman in the bar, did so just a few days after the crash. Um, I wouldn't be surprised the way that this sheriff's department is run, which is not very well. It is a PR disaster over there. They can't make a right move with this sheriff. They screw every single thing up. I don't – well, I don't know how far down that goes. I don't think it goes far down. I I think there are a a number of of people in the sheriff's department that do a great job, obviously. Right. Um, A number of people in administrative roles. I just don't think that this latest sheriff and the people that he's brought in are handling themselves very well when it comes to the optics of the leadership there. I mean, we how many press conferences have we watched that they have screwed up entirely? That is a good point because that's that's one of the common things, unfortunately, for this for his administration, for Alex Villanueva's administration, is if uh, boneheads like us can sit here and say you should have never said that, or you're not giving us the whole story, or you're doing this completely wrong. That's that should be above our pay grade, and at this point in this administration, it's not. He's he's doing things completely wrong. Now, in this case, what kind of punishment do you think should be uh, imposed upon people who are doing this? Whether it's a trainee, a full deputy, a firefighter, a paramedic, whoever it is. I think it's got to be a change in whatever the policy is. I mean, the last time that they were in trouble with this was 2009, right? The Rihanna photos when Chris Brown beat her up yep. and those were leaked. Uh, 2009 was a very different time in terms of technology and our phones and what we do and how much we document. Um, I can see where there could be people that take pictures of the crash site 
and share them around the s- substation or whatever and not think anything of it because they're they've grown up with this technology. Well, you know, I, if you're a 22 year old deputy and you don't think that there's anything wrong with that because that's your whole life has just been like documenting things and, and I would say sharing be, them with your friends have to be two different levels of punishment if you shared it within the department and, and then shared it with somebody in the public because because I do think you have to take into account the type of work that those people do anyway. And yeah, I, I mean, just because, you know, the, the types of crap that they say, every, they see every single day, it's different to, to share it with one sworn officer right, no. or somebody who was taking the oath for the fire department to say that, you know, they're going to uphold people's privacy, et cetera. As opposed to going to a bar and trying to show off to somebody, hey, I was there. I was the first on the scene. And how what is, is that, that move? Yeah, how does that line work? I mean, we've had this question many times. Does that line, whatever it might be, does it work? And I I guess they think it does or it shows some amount of bravado that you could hold your phone and take a picture of some horrific crash scene. Yeah, I don't know what what how that move would be. Oh, it, what woman is going to respond to that? Right. Oh, mm, I do declare. I mean, that's disgusting. And don't forget, this is not just, this isn't a car crash. This isn't even Rihanna. This isn't a, there were children on that helicopter. There were children there. And that I think is probably yeah. the most disgusting version of that whole story. All right, coming up next, Elon Musk is nuts. We can all agree, right? Well, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, it turns out. Mom's crazy? She's a little eccentric. Ooh. I would say is the word I would use. I don't like to throw around crazy. Sometimes crazy disguises itself as genius. That's true. It's a very thin line there between crazy and genius. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. I think we cross it routinely. (laughs) We jump back and forth. Justin Herbert last night at the Combine. These are dark days for me, okay? <laughs> you have to watch the Combine. <laughs> Some amount of joy. You know, I'm looking at hand measurements. I do think it's funny, though, because spring training games are on. Yes. There's at least three or four of them on every single day. You don't get any enjoyment out of that? No. I'm looking at the beautiful... Baseball three. on television for me? I just can't do it. I am going to spring training yeah. in Arizona. I've never been. I'm excited about that. Oh, you've that. never been? No. I've never been to the new Dodgers facility. I'm excited share with the to, White Sox. Uh, I've never been there. I'm excited to smell the grass, feel oh, the sunshine. Stop it. What kind of hot dogs are they working with out there? Do they sure have? they've got Dodger dogs. You think if you're so? Going to, if you're going to Camelback. I hope so. Because I, I won't just deal in a normal hot dog. It's got to be a Dodger dog or a bratwurst of some kind. Do they have camel dogs there? Camelback Ranch? I don't think I don't, I've never been there. I don't either. think they make hot dogs out of camels. Like, uh, ask Vasse if they have normal dogs there or do- what kind of dogs. Yeah, all right. I was talking to Katie about this yesterday. Vasse used to get a little uh, salty towards the end of the season. I could understand. I could too. Travel. Oh, all of it. Long His days. His kids don't even know who he is. 
Who's that, but guy? Who's he's, that guy? he's gotten salty now in, in February when he's on with like Rogan and Rodney. I mean, he claps back pretty hard for no reason. He snaps pretty easily. What a what a wonderful assignment, though. I know. I Is think about that six all weeks the time. or something. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, and he's got his family out there with him for for spring training. And you've got 16 teams there, I think, that are all within a 20-minute drive. Every one of those stadiums is right there. I mean, maybe not right there, but it's close enough. Did you go to the batting cages yesterday? No, I'm going to go today. Okay. All right. All right. Elon Musk is a bit different. Wouldn't we agree? Uh, It looks like his mother also a bit different. This is an interesting family. (laughs) <laughs> because all three of her children are successful, all founded companies and are leaders in their chosen pursuits, be it tech or restaurants or entertainment. Didn't realize that Elon had uh, siblings. Elon was born in 71, Kimball in 72, and Tosca in 1974. Those are eccentric names. Yeah, but, and, and to your point, they had, um, what is it, uh, Kimba, sorry, Kimball. You know, Elon, of course, got PayPal and Zip2 and then founded SpaceX and then joined Tesla. Kimball is a chef who co-founded the Nationwide Kitchen Restaurant Group. And Tosca is a producer. Several films co-founded a romance streaming service called Passion Flicks. What is Hmm. that? Google it. Google it. (laughs) Like John and Ken. Um, (laughs) They... Say in this deep dive in the Daily Mail that it's clear that these three inherited some of their hustle from their mother. Mom, May, born May Haldeman, was a twin. She had twin sister Kay. Uh, She was a well-known model who has graced Times Square billboards. She's also a nutritionist who had her own business for decades. She's 71 now. She told the Daily Mail, I don't stop. I have no problem working day and night. She eccentric is probably the best word in terms of her own youth. Um, she was one of four kids. I guess her her name is May. Her twin sister's name is Kay. She says, I grew up in a family that had an airplane and a fascination for exploration. Um, okay, we're talking 50s and 60s here. And she says that she and her family would fly across Canada, America, Africa, Europe, Asia, and Australia. That's about all of the continents, basically. Uh, in a small canvas-covered prop plane. And, of course, back then they didn't have any GPS. But they also didn't have a radio. She says, when we were children, they took us on trips to the Kalahari Desert every winter to search for the lost city. Wow. <laughs> and she says, looking back, I realize it may have been dangerous to go across the de- desert with a compass and three weeks' supply of water and food with five children. That sounds like mental instability. But, again. Or eccentricity. Eli- right. Uh, she says our family motto was live dangerously, carefully. <laughs> She's got a new memoir out, if this sounds interesting, when it does. It's called A Woman Makes a Plan. Uh, she's gorgeous. Uh, she's been Easy. gorgeous. I, well, what? She is. Easy. At 15, she began a modeling career. She was a finalist for Miss South Africa amongst the beauty pageants that she entered um, and actually ended up pursuing a degree, uh, degree in dietetics. Yeah, she wasn't just something to look at, Gary Hoffman. Well, I didn't say she was only gorgeous. I just said she is gorgeous. 
and smart like a rocket scientist. Since she was 16, she had this off and on again boyfriend named Errol Musk. She wrote in her memoir, he was good at math and science, better than me. And I didn't know how many guys like that. I didn't know many guys like that. And he kept saying he wanted to marry me. That's a very masculine name without being a masculine name. Errol. Errol Musk. Yeah. It's not like uh, Shane Brigham or something like that. But it's, I don't know. She had three children in three years and three weeks. Ooh, that's quick output. It's a lot of trauma. Yeah. You got to bounce back. I mean, you're barely bounced back. Hey, dude, put a condom on. <laughs> I want to know the context of that. <laughs> when, when, when would Ann Carlo be talking like that? I have no idea. Um, she said that Errol, an engineer, whom she actually does not name in the entire book. We mentioned that, uh, she wrote this memoir. She doesn't use his name. Although she talks about the relationship and because her kids encouraged her to, she talked about the, um, abuse. She said, uh, said that he was physically and verbally abusive to her and with the support of her children kept that part in the memoir. She talked about Elon and said that he was nicknamed the Encyclopedia because he read everything and retained it. He got his first computer at 12, 1983. Computers were very, very new. He learned to use it, wrote a computer program, Blaster. She says, I told him to submit it to a computer magazine. He sent Blaster to PC magazine and they sent him $500. I don't think they knew he was 12. I had something like that dream. It was published when he was 13. I think I got my first computer when I was about that age. Yeah. And he was, he's a couple of years older did, than me. But Did you invent a popular game? No. Did nor you? am I worth anywhere close to $30 billion. No? No. I mean, I haven't done, a, I guess, a forensic financial accounting of that. You but. know, you're a creative person. I'm sure if you sat down to create something, it could be profitable. Hmm. Or... Go get your start in adult theater, like I've told you. Again, you keep using that term, and I'm afraid that you're you're giving the wrong impression. Community theater. Yes. You're going to have a big break. I see big things for you. The world. We'll do trending when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now. A low interest rate on everyday purchases and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed and together they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. Fed, insured by NCUA. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views, premium seats in all rows, and connected tech while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy nonstop routes to summer because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to $3,500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites.
for well-qualified buyers. 3500 on 2020 Row consists of 3000 cash back and 500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 76-2020. Day after day, we appear. Night after night, my heartbeat shows the See what Morgan wrote for Handel on his whiteboard up there? KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. She said, get down like the Dow, baby. I'm pretty sure he knows. He knows. He knows what that means. Dow is down 855 again. Stocks continuing a slide as the coronavirus becomes more of a thing. Hey, that kicks off. What's happening? Time for What's Happening. What is happening? Uh, This market is not normal. That's what's happening. A bunch of uh, stock experts are saying what a lot of us are thinking. The Dow is uh, looking at a 4,000-point drop over the course of the last week. Um, A guy named Thomas Lee is the founder of Fundstrat Global Advisors. He said uh, one of the the few to acknowledge that something is not right with this market. Listen, we closed at a record just a few days ago. And as of right now, we're seeing a correction to the, you know, well past the 10% correction and getting into bull market territory where you'd get down about 20%. Uh-oh, the Pope has canceled his visit with Rome priests because he's sick. He had a planned mass with Rome clergy. Yeah, but he doesn't have the... He's 83 and he is sick. We may lose the Pope over this. No. I mean, he's the Pope. I don't know. Doesn't he, he lost know part, people that he, could... He lost part of one lung when he was a kid because of a respiratory illness. So this guy's working on not a full deck of lungs. A full deck of lungs. There is one corona... Oh, hi. Uh, there is... Uh, one new case in Northern California. Somebody was taken to a hospital in Folsom after testing positive for coronavirus. This is not the same person who showed up to UC Davis Medical Center after testing positive for coronavirus. Um, that's the one that they have no known connection to uh, anybody who may have been in China or may have come back from an area with an infection. So they're still trying to track down how that person Got infected. People are still following cult mom, doomsday mom. Uh, name your name your uh, moniker for Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow's husband, Chad Daybell, who is the doomsday author, has been spotted hauling furniture into a moving truck in Hawaii. Chad Daybell is his name. And the last time we checked in with Chad, we told you that a reporter had tracked him down and was asking about the welfare of Lori's two kids who have been missing since September. And he said, no comment. I have no comment over and over. I can't talk about that. 
which is an odd reaction. I feel like we've been covering this story enough that we should sit down and individually sketch out what we think happened to these kids or what's going on and see which one of us comes closer to this. Well, part of the odd thing is that one of the kids is a 17-year-old girl who would be hard to... Hide? Yeah, and you would think would put up a fight, and I I just don't know what happened. But how do you kill your two kids and then go on living like nothing? But that's kind of the way she was with her ex-husband, Lori Vallow. And they don't appear to be grounded in reality very much. They don't appear to have a whole lot of... uh, uh, feet on the ground, shall we say. This guy's getting ready to move, it looks like, and uh, he hasn't told anybody how long he's planning to stay in Hawaii. She was in that courtroom, of course, and basically waived, uh, originally waived extradition. She was going to fight it at first and decided she would go back to Idaho in an attempt to at least answer some of the questions about what happened uh, to her kids. Hey, did you hear about that crane collapse over at SoFi this this, uh, morning, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood? No injuries were reported. happened just before 8 p.m. Crane collapse at that huge construction sign. And I was looking at aerial views of that stadium again, and damn, that thing looks futuristic. (laughs) I mean, we saw it up close. We took the tour and did the whole thing. It's just something out of the future, isn't it? Yeah, and it's going to be an incredible venue, I mean, clearly for football, obviously, because that's what the point is. But they're going to start it with a couple of concerts. I think Taylor Swift is the first concert they're doing in July, and then a uh, country concert after that before they get to play football in it. But that's just the main area, the, the main stadium. There's other places within the same venue where they can do smaller concerts and smaller events that are going to be utilized. That's going to be a a very cool place. Well, it looks like some of the Democratic nominees are headed to our areas. Bernie Sanders will be in L.A. on Sunday for a rally at the convention center. Um, He's going to be joined by Dick Van Dyke, Sarah Silverman, and Public Enemy. Sure. Why not? Okay. That's like a Cobb salad of entertainment right there. It sure is. Pete Buttigieg will be in Chula Vista on Monday. His rally is uh, 730 and is also free to attend. Of course, that's before... Super Tuesday coming up on Tuesday. Joe Biden will be here on Tuesday, according to ABC News. Hey, have you heard about the whole Barry Sanders, Garth Brooks, Bernie Sanders story? So, Garth. Hold on a second. <laughs> Barry Sanders, a football player? It's a Cobb salad, isn't Garth it? Garth Brooks, the country singer, and Bernie Sanders, the communist in socialist clothing. So, Garth Brooks yeah. was in Detroit. At his stadium tour, and he wore a Barry Sanders jersey. But some of his fans thought it was no. a so- show of support for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> no, that's not. He's in Detroit. That cannot be true. Wearing a Barry Sanders jersey. That makes sense, doesn't it? People lost their freaking minds saying, can't you just do what you get paid to do? Why does it involve politics? I thought you were different, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And so then Barry Sanders tweeted, hey, Garth Brooks, want to be my VP, number 20 for 2020. (laughs) And made like a campaign graphic. Okay. The number 2020. That makes sense. Sanders 20. Right. Man, I don't know what to feel worse for. Garth Brooks. Or the people who support Garth Brooks and thought that he was supporting Bernie Sanders. I would also like to highlight what we kicked off the show telling everybody that 38% of America is stopping drinking Corona beer. 
38% of well, America you know, believes that Corona beer gives you the coronavirus. We are a dumb people. It hasn't prevented people from driving to Corona, has it? Has it? Ooh, that's a good feature story. Chris Little should get a reporter on that. That'd be funny. Well, he's got to listen to the show first. Chris listens to the show. Mm. You think he's going to run in here and tell us that he listens to the show? I know his son listens to the show. Well, he's going to call his dad, and then his dad's going to come in here and listen to the show. I'm waiting for him to just, like, you know, pop his head out of his office door right now. He's probably vacuuming the ceiling in there or something. Don't hold your breath. Um, Nope, no movement. No movement, huh? (laughs) I mean, he's on the show. You'd think he'd listen to it. When we come back. You listen to it, Amy. I do. Not only is there a a health scare going international here in in terms of coronavirus and our reaction to it, stock markets are in a free fall. Um, If you read through your Old Testament, another sign of the apocalypse is swarms of locusts. And they're here. (laughs) God, we are nothing but good news today, aren't we? We are. It's a good uh, good Friday show. All right. If this doesn't drive you to drink, I don't know what will. Duck news when we return. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Amber wrote to us, says that uh, 1983 was the year of her birth. So, of course, it was a good year. Yeah, but I don't know anybody who's really conscious of the music that that was playing when they were born. I mean, we've done 1973 before. We've done 1981. I just don't know... I'm not a huge fan. There are other years I would choose above 1973. Following uh, how things are going on Wall Street, and it is not good. The Dow is down about 700 points right now at 25,062. U.S. oil futures have suffered the largest weekly percentage loss in more than a decade. Gold is off $62 right now. Oil is down $2. Sorry. uh, Yeah, gold down $62 and oil down $2. Um, both about 4% drops for those two. So we'll see how it goes. 1 o'clock is when the uh, market closes and bring you those numbers at uh, right after the news at 1. This may sound like a joke, but a troop of special Chinese ducks is waiting to be deployed to Pakistan to fight locusts. Uh, oh. About 100,000 ducks are going to be sent there. There's a desert locust outbreak. According to Lu Liz He, the ducks are biological weapons, and they can be more effective than pesticide. Do you know how much? Hold on, say how much do you, you want to bet? Can you tell me that Pakistan becomes the next hotspot for uh, for coronavirus? Oh, that's racist of you. Why is that? Because these ducks are Chinese. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, of course really? it's because they're Chinese. Did you know that one duck is able to eat more than 200 locusts a day? Well, that's like me and stuffed shells. I could yeah. probably put away. Yeah, you could. <laughs> they said. And um, then just 
the ducks have superior searching and predation capabilities. But they're going to start in uh, the western region of Xinjiang early, uh, later this year before the ducks are actually sent to Pakistan. This has been a huge problem. The locusts have been a huge problem in eastern Africa all the way through South Asia. Crops have been gone. Pastures have been uh, eaten up at a voracious pace. And there were people, there were farmers in different parts of Africa that were saying that they would have acres and acres and acres of a crop, whatever it happened to be. That would, when the swarm came, disappear in minutes, not several hours or a couple of days. The locals in minutes, everything would be gone in their crops, uh, together with unseasonal rain and a scourge of low quality seeds. They said most of Pakistan's largest producing regions have had a very tough time. Uh, you and know. That- uh- the same conditions have also uh, moved into India as well. Lori Vallow, the doomsday mom, may not be far off. Uh, she had predicted that Jesus would come back in 2020. Oh, and July, then, right? Yeah, July and then the end of the world. So we've got this coronavirus that's wiping people out left and right. Got locusts in Pakistan. Blake, what are the other signs of the end of the world? Oh, man, I don't know. Well, first, the temple has to be rebuilt, so that's a big thing. Where's the temple? Uh, That'll be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. And the locusts technically are supposed to have heads of horses. So this all makes perfect sense. These ones. But maybe that's a specific breed. I don't don't know. Well, the ducks will sort it out. And, you know, the Antichrist has to, you know, that part. What? What? what, What's that part? The, the fact of being here and raining. What, I'm sorry, you lost yeah, me. Yeah, what? what's the, happening? Fact the revelation, of right? Raining? Ra- like the Antichrist in control. Oh, raining. Yes, raining. R-E-I-G-N. I thought you meant like, it might rain on Sunday. No. Oh. No. Okay. More of a biblical rain. Got it. So. Power rain. A lot of it's up for debate on how it all plans out or pans out and works its way out. Do we have any details about what the Antichrist is or who it is? Um, There are. I don't know them all well enough. It's supposed to rise up out of a certain area, and I don't remember it all. So, I'd like to get some clarification on that. There's a lot of details. When we talk about the plagues of Egypt, I think that's what a lot of people are referring to as the seven signs of the apocalypse. Sure. So the plagues of Egypt would be... Are we talking about the plagues of Egypt or are we talking about the revelation? Let's, let's do plagues of Egypt because I think that's oh, probably that's, that's an easier one. That's the frogs. Yeah. It's that's also a the lot blood, less ambiguous. The lice, the flies, the pestilence of livestock. Everybody gets boils. The thunderstorms of fire and hail. Then the locusts. Then the darkness for three days. Oh. Then the deaths of the firstborn. Oh. I think. Like, you have older siblings, and Nick, you do. I do. Uh-huh. And I do. I do, too. And We're all do. safe. Thank God. Woo. So, your show, After the uh, the Plagues of Egypt, the Gary and Shannon show. And we have, we're the middle show, too. <gasps> right? So, we're safe. Thank you, God. Yeah. Too bad for handle. Gary, you are the firstborn boy, though, so that makes things a little tricky sometimes. No, it doesn't. Okay. I read that part. No, Historically, it came. Oh. This show. Oh, crap. This show is a sign of the end. Gary and Shannon will continue with Swamp Watch right after this. Stop with the ducks! 
I feel like this is your weighted blanket. Are you going to watch it? This uh, baseball game. It is. Okay. It's keeping me calm. Yeah. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up at the top of the hour, a new Netflix show called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. It's a six-part documentary, and it's all about the death of, the abuse and the torture and the death of young Gabriel Fernandez up in the Antelope Valley. But not just about him or even his mother and her boyfriend that eventually went to jail for his death, but about how the system failed this little boy uh, over and over and over again. Um, We're going to be talking with the director and executive producer of that Netflix documentary when we come back. Uh, At the top of the hour, that is. Well, there are some questions as to how the president has responded to the coronavirus, and that is where we begin with Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Oh, man, that is a sad play. And you know who that is? No. That's Tim Tebow. Oh, it is? Yeah, he tripped on his own shoelaces oh, in left field. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Well, we got to do something to distract us from the dangers of today. Uh, Inez de la Cutera is joining us live from Washington, D.C. The White House has come out and uh, been responding to the coronavirus and had to defend the way the administration has been working on this whole thing. Inez, what's going on? Yeah, so you had acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney doing just that. He came out to defend the president's reaction. He said uh, it's likely U.S. schools might have to shut down and public uh, transportation could likely be affected. But he was insisting that, I mean, that was more of like an offhand comment. He was insisting the virus is nothing to panic about. And he made his focus, uh, the, the the fact that Democrats, he says, are politicizing the issue and, and the press. He went after Democrats and the press and he said, you know, we've been having meetings about this issue for the last four or five weeks. You just weren't hearing about it because everybody was talking about impeachment because they thought the president uh, be, without, that impeachment would take down the president. The only reason you're hearing about coronavirus now is because impeachment is over and they think that um, coronavirus will take down the president as well. So that was the uh, message coming Coming from Mick Mulvaney, and then you had uh, Chuck Schumer firing back today, releasing a statement saying that uh, for Mick Mulvaney um, to, because one of the other comments Mulvaney made was that Americans should turn off their TVs and bury their heads in, or according to Chuck Schumer, bury their heads in the sand, because um, Mulvaney said Americans should, should just turn off their TVs for 24 hours. Um, Schumer called that counterproductive and dangerous. So you're seeing a little bit of back and forth there between uh, Democrats on the Hill and the White House. And then House members getting a briefing on, on the coronavirus today as well, right? That's right. So you had uh, House members getting briefed by a number of health experts, people from the CDC, NIH, HHS, um, to discuss a number of issues uh, with regards to the coronavirus. But we know that one of the this is a closed door briefing, but we're, we're learning that one of the main topics that was coming up was this whistleblower complaint that we found out about. So uh, there was a whistleblower complaint filed that claims that there are employees that are being sent to uh, places in California to help with uh, quarantined evacuees. And according to this whistleblower, those health workers are not trained properly or given the right gear to deal with 
the coronavirus. So uh, Democrats are now demanding uh, a separate briefing from the Trump administration that they're hoping to schedule for next week. And they're urging as well an inspector general investigation to kind of figure out what's going on here with this whistleblower complaint. When President Trump said that Mike Pence, the vice president, was going to take over as sort of the head of our response, uh, he was bristling at the idea that he would be the coronavirus czar. Why was that? Why was that such a uh, nasty term in his mind? Yeah, so he, it was interesting because there was, we saw that that was kind of strange the way that unfolded as well, where you had Alex Azar on Capitol Hill, you know, taking the lead and and then very much making comments that indicated that he believed that he was the lead here when it came to the coronavirus. He was in charge. The American public and and lawmakers on Capitol Hill should listen to him and and trust him. And then that very night, uh, President Trump appointing Mike Pence to be the, the czar and and the president's argument is that Mike Pence has dealt with health uh, crises in Indiana and did a good job there and that he's someone who's already, you know, part of the administration and that he trusts Mike Pence to uh, to, to handle this issue. Others, of course, say it would be, uh, you know, there's still some calling for um, for a, just a completely separate person to 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 come in and 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 handle this but the president seems to have confidence in in mike pence so we'll see um but i think that just goes to show you know that the kind of confusion here over whether it was alex azar or mike pence and what is mike pence actually doing and you know there's a lot of talk about working with state and local governments it just goes to show that, that the administration is still very much trying to figure out what its response should be um you know and and in, in their defense the, the coronavirus isn't here yet so i think there's there's still a lot of um I mean, of course, we, we have 15 cases, but it hasn't, you know, gotten to a crazy level yet. So I think they're, they're still trying to figure it out, um, figure out their, their response and, and what to do and, and trying, trying to figure out how bad it's going to be. Inez, great stuff. Thanks so much. Thank you. Inez De La Cutera there again uh, from Capitol Hill with the latest on the administration and the response to the coronavirus uh, outbreak. There was a report earlier today as well that None of the health officials, whether it was CDC, uh, National Institutes of Health, um, anybody, would be allowed to go on camera without approval from the vice president. Since the vice president would be in charge of our response, that Mike Pence or at least Mike Pence, Mike Pence's office would have to sign off on everybody's appearances before they make it to TV. Just in terms of not not to uh, necessarily stifle a message. But just to make sure that everybody's saying the same things, that we're all giving the same information. The Dow is currently down 918 points. The Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell pledging that the Fed will use our tools to support the economy, which is obviously a strong signal of a likely rate cut, perhaps at the next meeting in mid-March. The Fed saying today it will act as appropriate to support the economy. Stocks are down roughly 13 percent in value. Uh, Powell said the fundamentals of the U.S. economy remain strong, but then said the coronavirus poses evolving risks to economic activity. I don't like that. (laughs) Uh, No. And we'll see in 20 minutes left in trading for the entire week. We'll see where we end up here in just a few minutes. Uh, We'll come back and talk about uh, Super Tuesday, of course, coming up. How the latest poll shows the Democratic candidates getting ready for Tuesday's primary. Gary and Channel will continue. He's taking his shirt off. Are they going to make him take off his pants, too? Just watching the end of a chase in Santa Clarita. Pickup truck, black pickup truck. 
He's got his hands up now, pulled over in the uh, kind of a grassy area next to the freeway. Yeah, between the exit and the freeway. And then you said it was Magic Mountain. He's headed, ca- headed northbound, it looks like. He's got tattoos all over him. Or is that a bad hair job underneath his shirt That's there? bad hair. Okay. Those are not tattoos. He's wearing jeans and a baseball cap, and they made him take his shirt off. But he kept his hat on. Yeah. Okay. Now he's on the ground. He's laying on the dirt face down. The dog wants at him. Man. That dog wants to take a bite out of that forearm. That dog's a good boy. He just wants to just tickle him with his canines. That's what they call those teeth, even though they're, you know, the dogs have them too, uh-huh. called the canine teeth. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, it's probably like uh, Nick said they may have wanted him for narcotics. Again, the Highway Patrol has stopped a guy uh, in a truck. They were chasing him for just a short distance, but they stopped him at Magic Mountain Parkway, northbound on I-5, right up in the Valencia area. And, uh, man, <laughs> dog is straining. He had, looks like he hasn't eaten in four days. He just wants a little bit of that guy's forearm hamburger. That's all. Just a tiny little nibble. We're in the middle of Swamp Watch talking about what's going on in D.C. And for those people who want to get to D.C., Tuesday's going to be a big day. Tomorrow, of course, is the South Carolina primary. It looks it looks like Joe Biden's going to win the South Carolina primary. That's good news for Joe Biden, but it's not good enough news for Joe Biden. Partly because Bernie Sanders right now holds a two-to-one lead in California, the biggest get for Super Tuesday. Uh, The latest poll, L.A. Times took uh, a poll Thursday through Tuesday, last Thursday through this Tuesday. And they said that Bernie Sanders now is at 34 percent support of registered Democratic voters. Elizabeth Warren is in second place at 17 percent, even though she has dropped significantly. And... Michael Bloomberg has bounced up into third place in California with 12%. Now, this is, this poll ended before that second debate. So whether or not that makes it uh, the second one that Bloomberg was in, when he also had just an absolute wet napkin of a performance. Pete Buttigieg in fourth place at 11% and Joe Biden way down at 8%. When that poll, same poll was taken back in June, Joe Biden had 22 percent support of Democratic voters in California. So if Bernie Sanders wins, he could walk away with, they're saying, well over the 10 percent needed um, of the 11, sorry, of the 1991 delegates he would need to win the nomination. Remember how we told you about Joe Biden repeating this story about how he was arrested on his way to see Nelson Mandela or trying to see Nelson Mandela. (laughs) And he said it repeatedly, and it seems like it is not true. He has today walked back his claim that he was arrested in the 70s during a trip to visit Mandela. When I said arrested, I meant I was not able to, I was not able to move. Cops, Afrikaners were not letting me go with them, made me stay where I was. I guess I wasn't arrested. I was stopped. I was not able to move where I wanted to go. Uh, yeah, he said he was separated from this group at the airport um, that they he they got him off the plane or they were going to get him off the plane. And the entire black delegation was going one way. And he said, I'm not going to go in the door that says whites only. I'm going with them. He wanted to go with the rest of the black delegation. And that's when he says, no, you're not. Or they tell him, no, you're not. You can't move. You can't go that way. Well, this is kind of like when I was arrested at Dodger Stadium. 
I say I was arrested, but I wasn't really arrested. I mean, cited and released, I guess you could say. You know, you can fudge it a little bit and call that an arrest. Okay, but he's <laughs> he's talking about pre-apartheid, um, or I guess during the uh, during apartheid South Africa, explaining why he was standing up against the grain and was arrested. That's like, no. That, no. It's not the same? No, because that would be like saying, uh, yeah, I marched with Martin Luther King. Yeah. In my iPod, when I was walking down the street, I was kind of marching, listening to him. It's like a Brian Williams type thing. Yeah. It's not the way not the way it should go. Amy Klobuchar got standing room only crowds in Virginia. She's still polling in the single digits there. But a lot of people believing she represents the best chance for Democrats to defeat Trump there in Virginia. I am. This may be another shot at getting some sort of a third party put together. Yeah. I mean, in, in the context of Bernie Sanders winning the Democratic nomination, if we assume that he will, because I think in Milwaukee at the convention, you're going to see enough people upset with him representing the Democratic Party. Remember, Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. No. And the idea that he's going to then represent what, you know, one of the the two major parties in the uh, in the country is should concern a lot of people. And I I'm curious if that is enough to begin the process. Maybe we say this every 4 years that there's enough there are enough voters who are upset with all of this that they'll start a third party. We'll finally get some representation for the vast unrepresented in the, in the United States. And it never happens. I'd like to see how many people are uh, more like us in terms of uh, not one way or the other, you know, um, not – uh, polar left, polar right. I'm not going to vote for you simply because of the letter that you have behind your name. Right. Exactly. You got to be able to prove to me your value as a politician, a representative of, of who I am. I think we'll find out because I don't know if, if Bernie Sanders would get the amount of votes that a more moderate Democrat would, would get. I think they're going to be surprised. I think yeah. that the, the people who are supporting Bernie are going to be surprised at how little support he gets. Or the, the better way to put it might simply be uh, they're going to be amazed at how many Democrats will hold their nose and vote for Donald Trump rather than Bernie Sanders. So anyway, when we come back. Netflix is out with a new show called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, a six-part documentary about one of the most infamous child abuse murder cases in all of California, but definitely here in L.A. County. We're going to talk with the director and executive producer of that show when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, there you go. It did make back a few hundred points right there at the close. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ended the day down 357 points. The potential for what is known as a supply shock is explaining why so many investors are worried about the threat that the COVID-19 
virus, uh, coronavirus, is having around the world. Uh, again, down 357 for the day, but down almost 3,400 for the week. The worst week for Wall Street since the financial crisis. Well, we have covered this case extensively on KFI ever since May 22nd, 2013, or shortly after when we found out about eight-year-old Gabriel Fernandez and the hell that that little boy went through and all of the red flags that were ignored, noted, but then ignored. The... um Netflix has a six-part docu-series that came out just this week called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. And boy, is it hard to watch. Man, I got through two episodes last night. I'm not looking forward to the other four only because, I mean, I, I know how it ends. It, I mean, I, I know the frustrations of, of the story itself, but it's one of those where I felt going into it like, that's part of the reason why you should be watching it. Well, and the other thing that has shocked me about this series is the fact that I know all the details. I reported on all the details. We chronicled all of the abuse that this kid went through extensively through the news department when it happened. But yet. It's still shocking. It's still shocking. Exactly. I want to play for you just a quick uh, minute and a half or so an interview that was in the very first episode. With Christine Estes, one of the emergency room nurses. And that's the first time that you have a second to breathe and think. She's talking about, sorry, she's talking about Gabriel had just been taken away by the children's hospital medical team that came to take care of him. And that's the first time that you have a second to breathe and think, holy crap, what just happened? And at that moment, that's when it would just hit me. But no, in the moment, you, you don't have time for that. You can't think, you can't stop, you can't get emotional. Because he needs you. I remember the first time I ever did CPR on a kid. I'll always remember it, and it was horrible. But it didn't affect me like this. Now, that's just an example. Christine Estes, emergency room nurse, she's seen the worst of the yeah. worst. And that was just one of the people that was interviewed that dealt with Gabriel Fernandez that day, that night, and said it's unforgettable, it's indelible, it will forever be etched in their memory. Joining us now is the director of this Netflix series, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, Brian Knappenberger. Thanks for your time, Brian. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Hey, you were able to start this uh, production during the trials of Gabriel's mom and her boyfriend. Um, mom eventually yeah. pleaded guilty. Uh, boyfriend was found guilty. How, how did you even start? How did you even think that this was going to be uh, worth the documentary that you made? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I, I uh, First of all, thank you very much for having me on. I know you guys have covered this story in detail for a while, and uh, we looked at a lot of that coverage when we were uh, trying to get uh, up to date on it. But um, it started for me when um, you know I read some of the articles in the L.A. Times, and we asked Judge George Lamelli if we could bring our cameras into the courtroom. Um, we wanted to see what this was about. And, and uh, I'm glad you played that clip from Christine Estes because those first few days in the courtroom – that was pretty representative of it. We saw first responders over and over again saying that that you know in 20 years of working as first responders, I mean, imagine what they what they've seen on a day to day basis. 
um, just to a person, this case stood out to them and stuck with them and was and became, you could tell it was really, really personal. So those first few days in the courtroom were gut-wrenching, uh, emotional, um, really, really jaw-dropping. And, and so that's, that's kind of how we, we, you know, we were filming first before Netflix or anybody else was involved. And we just thought, this is something that people need to hear. And then, of course, um, you know, every time you had an answer in this case, uh, you, you, you had two more or three more questions. Uh, the mystery kind of kept getting deeper. Of course, the social workers were uh, charged criminally here. Um, and then uh, even that was kind of the beginning. So we used it as a way of looking at uh, how this happened and some of the system-wide problems. Now, as you detail in in the series, it wasn't just the abuse of Gabriel Fernandez that was highlighted, but it sounds like a cycle of abuse in the family. Yeah, it was important to us. I mean, it was easy to look at Pearl uh, Fernandez and Osaro Aguirre as monsters, um, and and, and I, I, they are. Uh, it's unimaginable that they could do this to some to a young boy. But it was also important to us to to figure out well why where did they come from and to kind of look deeper you know in a six part series you want to you want to you want to look for for those kinds of answers and so we did look back at uh, their history um, it was it was a little tough to find Asaro Aguirre we there were some people uh, taking his defense as character witnesses on the stand we we tried to find out about his backstory Pearl's backstory is a little more clear. Um, she, uh, she had heavy drug abuse as a very, very young, when she was very, very young. Um, she was also abused herself. Um, not that that cycle, uh, of course, um, excuses anything, but I, I think it made it more uh, complex and, and, and shed some light on, on this. Brian, can you hang on for just a couple of seconds? We have a quick break we need to take, but I got a bunch of more questions about this. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Brian Knappenberger, executive producer and director of The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, this docuseries that's shown up on Netflix, uh, all about the death of that eight-year-old boy from uh, from the Palmdale-Lancaster area and the cases that uh, came out of it, not just the case against his own mother and her boyfriend, but the cases against the social workers who were involved in the whole case beginning up uh, from years ago. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We are talking with Brian Knappenberger, who is the director and executive producer of The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, the story that is, uh, I mean, just absolutely rocked Los Angeles County and the L.A. County bureaucracy to its core, the death of an eight-year-old boy after years of severe abuse. One of the most frustrating things about the story And the tragedy is the fact that there were red flags and people saw them and people that are supposed to be in the business of protecting children in this county completely failed at their job and were eventually held accountable for that. Brian, when you talk about it, I mean, even in the first episode, there's sort of a barely scratching the surface of what was a humongous problem in L.A. County, specifically in the Department of Children and Family Services. Uh, How big is it? I mean, is there a way to describe just how big the problem was? Well, it's it's enormous, and and we spend, you know, a good deal of the the other episodes sort of taking that apart and trying to figure out where all the breakdowns were. Um, You know, I I think, you know, one of the, 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 the first line of defense, I think, has gotten a lot of attention, obviously, is that the social workers, the social workers here, 
And by the way, there are incredible social workers in Los Angeles, all in it for the right reasons. I think in, in this case, you know, the social workers made errors um, serious enough for actual criminal charges to be to be brought against them. Um, you know, charges were criminal neglect and falsification of records. But, you know, I also think we, we uh, look at we ask some of the questions, uh, you know, the bigger questions. Do they have the resources, social workers in general have the resources and support they need to do what we're asking them to do? And, you know, from there we look at, um, you know, some of these sort of private uh, public partnerships. There was a uh, private contractor that played a role in this. Uh, we try to examine that. Um, and we, we just sort of look at a broad – one of the really staggering things about Gabriel is that the story of this young boy really does bring up – Fishers all throughout the county um, and questions that we had all throughout the county. And, and, and I think some of those questions were um, about transparency uh, around these issues so that the people know about them. You mentioned uh, in an interview that I saw with Entertainment Weekly that you actually gave uh, both Gabriel's mother and her boyfriend a special phone number that they could contact you if they wanted to take part in this, but but you didn't hear from them. What would you have Listen, as a journalist, I can understand the necessity and the the importance of talking to them, but I don't even know how you begin. What would you ask them? Well, well, I, I felt it was that, that's a good question. I did, I did actually. Um, you know, we there's a system by, where you can talk to people. They can call you if they're in jail, and uh, we signed up for that system. I carried around a set of questions in my in my uh, in my pocket in case because you never quite know where they're gonna when they're you know, when they could call it, call it any time. So we did open up that line of communication. Um, you know, I would have, I would have uh, listened to them uh, and tried to figure out where they were coming from. And, I, you know, I can't say that, that, that uh, we would have, that would have warranted, you know, come up with any answers or shed any light on it. But I did feel like it was impo- very important to get, at least open up that line of communication to, to, so that they could tell their story, um, if they chose to, they just never chose to call me. Did they ever testify? Uh, did we ever hear anything from them? It's really one of the most baffling things, at least for me as a viewer of this trial and someone who sat in every day. I don't know why Saro Aguirre didn't take uh, the, the the stand in his own defense. It's a death penalty case. Um, he, um, I actually think because we got extraordinary access to the jurors as well uh, in, in this and talking to them, I actually think it might have uh, made a difference as they were mulling over this um, choice about whether to give him the death penalty or not. Um, it's it's baffling. I don't. I don't. I, I, I think it's. I think it's. Um, I think it's a real question. I, I don't know why he wouldn't have taken the, the stand in his own defense. We did hear from Pearl during the sentencing, the final sort of sentencing hearing. She read a statement, um, but uh, it, was, it was sort of prepared statement. It was pretty short. Um, but other than that, um, they have largely uh, not chosen not to talk about this. What kind of toll has diving into all of the details of this taken on you as as a filmmaker, but as a person? Because it, it really is hard to get through. And I know that you were much deeper in it than any of us are watching this docuseries. Well, it's 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 it was quite an emotional journey for us, and I think that that's not just me, but the rest of our production team and and, and even people at Netflix that that supported us throughout. But really, you know, the production team involved with this on the day to day basis, this was this became a really really personal and important 
uh, story for everybody. We all felt so kind of emotionally invested in it, and it was exhausting and very intense. And we, but we just felt like it was necessary to get this story out, and that it was important that the, that the public knew what happened here. Um, I, I think the toll was. I mean, I'm a father myself. I have a, a seven year old boy. Um, Gabriel was eight when he died, and so I think it you know it touches you on a much deeper level. You know, if you're a parent, um, I mean, who knows? As I've been making films forever, I maybe not have even taken on this this uh, project if I wasn't a parent. Um, but um, you know, we just felt a real obligation to um, to get this story out, and a sense that by getting it out, it, we could and giving it a platform that it's gotten, which has been extraordinary. Gabriel Fernandez was the second most searched term across all of Google the day we came out. Um, and uh, so to give it a platform like that, we all just had a kind of faith that it would that it would, it would create some change, a uh, much needed change. Were there any surprises? We mentioned going into this last segment that we've both talked about this case. You obviously have done a lot of research on this case. And as you're going through there, was there any surprise about something that you hadn't known or something that took you by surprise while you were doing the research? Uh, yeah, the, the story about one story that we heard that started as a testimony in the trial was the story of Arturo, uh, the security guard at DPSS in, in Antelope Valley. And, uh, you know, after you hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, we didn't we didn't know we believed Pearl Fernandez that these that this abuse could have happened in other ways. Uh, we didn't know it was happening. All that we, you, you hear a lot of people saying, well, we weren't sure that this was a big, you know, Arturo Miranda, a security guard. Um, saw Gabriel for about 10 minutes, and he just made it his mission to try to save him. And um, he knew, he understood what was happening. And his courage was really, really, uh, really, really mind-blowing, actually. Um, We were really inspired by him. And he brought up... um, the you know the some of the hurdles that he ran into trying to trying to get Gabriel's story out and to contact authorities and that involved a third party contractor that was involved with this named Maximus that um that uh that 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 he says uh, in testimony uh, you know in some ways tried to thwart those actions of him getting out so that was really surprising to us, and we did. We filed lots of uh, Freedom Information Act requests and stuff to try to learn more about this. That that stuff that's in the documentary um, that I think is new. It's it's breaking news stuff. So um, that part surprised us. But I, I, you know, I was also surprised at the lack of transparency on the part of DCFS and the Board of Supervisors. We really tried to to get them to talk about this and. Um, they buttoned up. They they really they really uh, declined. Every I mean, over the course of a year and a half, we we said, look, we just want to know what you what you what happened here, what uh, what you're doing now that might address some of the issues that led to Gabriel. And they just declined to talk to we've, us. We've I, had the I same really we've had the same roadblock set up for us for years. We have tried so much to get a supervisor on just to say, "Hey, we screwed up, and here's what we're doing to correct it." And they will not come on. It, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? Isn't it better to say we screwed up and this is how we're going to fix it yeah. than to just? Uh, decline to talk to. I mean, that lack of transparency. I, I it's really almost like the boyfriend not testifying. Not- you know, it's exactly. like it, you know somebody say something about what went wrong here. Uh, it it really is frustrating. Oh man. I, I think instead they look at it as a as a kind of PR 
um, problem or any criticism. It's really, really disappointing. And they missed an enormous opportunity to to talk about this case and to talk about what they're doing and all of that. I really think they missed it. This is an enormous platform. And, they, and we would have listened to them. We were genuinely interested in hearing what happened. Current director Bobby Cagle wasn't around when um, Gabriel died. So he actually seems to be in a perfect position to understand how the department has changed since that. Well, it's not an easy watch. It's not comfortable. Uh, it, it's difficult. But maybe that's why it should be required viewing for anybody that deals with L.A. County, especially if anybody has uh, contact with DCFS or works for the county or the supervisors. It's uh, it's very important. Brian, again, we appreciate your work and we appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks a lot. And thanks for your continued coverage on this uh, over over time. Hey, it's an important story. You anything guys, happens, you, you let us uh, know. Thank you. You bet. Brian Knappenberger, director and executive producer, again, of the new Netflix documentary called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Sorry, I just read an email that I shouldn't have, and uh, oh. it prompted me to say a bad word. So I let, it, I let it fly and then made sure that the microphone wasn't on. Probably not the right order. That's what I always do. I say something completely inappropriate and worthy of an FCC violation, and then I look down to see that the button's on or off. Uh, coronavirus scare has dragged down the stock market this week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 3,600 points in a week. Uh, today it dropped another 360. And, you know, as bad as that is, it could have been much worse. It was down over 900 points earlier today and was able to recover some of that back. So the Dow down 357 today at 25,409. Well, See how things go on Monday when it opens up. It is time for the nine news nuggets you need to know. And we use that word need very loosely. <laughs> Stories that kind of slip through the cracks this week. And we bring them to you every Friday at this time. Hey, Neil Saavedra has joined us. What's going on, man? Hey, folks. Uh, life is good. How's by you? Excellent. Pants or no pants? Uh, uh, I am wearing Adidas sweatpants. Stripes or no stripes? A red stripe. Black with red stripe. Oh, that's a cool side. look. Ooh, uh, look you at know, you. do it's what like, I can. It's like a Darth I'm Maul. Petros. No, that's I'm gonna, not Petros. That's Neil. I'm going, I'm going to see you guys next week. I'll be back at uh, at the uh, office next week. You want to pump the brakes on that and just give it one extra week? Just one more, just to be safe? Why? Do you, do, it's not that I don't want to see him. It's do just you not that, miss me? Well, like there are enough people here who have said they have the, finger quotes, flu. That's true. There yeah, are. That, there are. There's, no, I, there's literally I actually, nobody at work. I talked to my doctor this morning. As a matter of fact, I'm like, uh, I work for a news station, and I don't usually, you know, dig the hyperbole. But since I'm immune suppressed, should I be aware of anything before I go back? <laughs> I'm. It is what it is. You know what? Right. You're not going to stop back living and die, your life. Eh, what are you going to do? Uh, I Jeez. do like talking to you, though, in this fashion. It kind of feels like talking to a genie in a bottle. I get that a lot, even in person. You know what I mean? I think it's the bald head and the weird beard. <laughs> Here's our honorable mention. Honorable mention. Not supposed to mention. I'm 
Does meatless meat violate the spirit of Lent? Well, according to the Archdiocese of Chicago, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops' official definition of meat does not include plant-based products. (laughs) You know what? The whole spirit of Lent is originally meat was only for, you know, big feasts and it was expensive. And so you're giving up a luxury. So it's. It's only the spirit of it anyways, because meat's not a luxury anymore. You can go down, you can buy a $3 hamburger. So it's the spirit of it anyways. And so why beat up people if they want to have, you know, meatless patties? Amen, yeah. brother. Why why beat their meatless meat? Uh, I had to make nine. it weird. I did nine plates of a cop's dirty nine times out of ten as partners dirty, too. And I speak nine languages. I stay up till nine o'clock. Basically everybody at table nine. I feel ready to go another nine in. Niner. Did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? A family that arrests together stays together. <laughs> Indiana police officer arrests, uh, arrested for pretending to arrest his 15-year-old son. Obviously, he had issues with him. Was seen by somebody at a school, even though it was off campus. And they called the police on the police yeah i hate this 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 is a police officer who wanted to scare the hell out of his kid because his kid probably screwed up so he handcuffs his kid drives him to the police department and uh gives him a talking to and now the dad's in trouble but if you're the dad don't you call somebody else to do it yeah i think there's some legal ramifications it is when you when you put cuffs on somebody that's when they are under arrest um the strange thing is you and you and i can actually put cuffs on people that are under a citizen's arrest, but we can't detain people for no reason. It's really weird. Listen, but... I don't need to know what you guys do in your downtime. <laughs> hey, listen, no cuffs, unless you're into that kind of thing. Number eight. <laughs> Every eight seconds. Listening to eight different bosses drone on about mission statements. Well, the combine is kicked off in Indy, and Texas Christian University defensive tackle Ross Blacklock said yesterday that he didn't even know he had 37 parking tickets from school at the Las Vegas Raiders, and that is so weird to say and see and read. Informed him of his 37 parking tickets that he did not know about. Apparently, they just took it straight from his student account. And isn't there some irony about the Raiders informing people yeah, of their right. criminal like record? Like the Raiders are the uh, morality police now. The Church of the Las Vegas Raiders has now informed you that you will be excommunicated. Okay, here's number seven. The seventh son of the seventh son. One of the seven days. With the government, Sector 7. Guy 7. 7 a.m. Seven years of college down the drain. Seven. 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 Seven days. Seven nation army couldn't hold me back. 
if if grandma's got a bunch of cats and grandma passes, find some place to put the cats. Make not like just, Gary and give Kevin away. Yeah, no, don't just put them in a box somewhere. Nobody puts kitties in a box. Uh, staff at the West Memphis Animal Shelter have had to deal with this. A uh, little more than a year ago, the owner of these cats passed away, and her relatives weren't prepared. They didn't apparently know that all these cats were there, so they didn't. Um, they didn't kill them or just let them loose. They put the cats in a unit on the woman's property, and they are they've been given food and water. But Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they're in about a ten foot by twenty foot oh, spot. Can and you imagine the smell. And there's sixty of them. <laughs> what is is that? Like, how many do you have to have when it becomes a glimmer or whatever or a glamour? The group of is that I, what it's called? I think so. Isn't it like a glamour or a glimmer or glit? I'm just going to go on the record now that uh, cats are not a pet. They're a roommate. Uh, <laughs> that's yes. all. That is so that's true. My PSA. People have cats. They don't want, they don't want connection with anybody like uh, a dog. A dog you have to actively take out to poop, walk. They just want someone to go, hey, I'm here too. Unofficially, a group of cats is either known as a clowder, a pounce, oh. or a glaring. A glaring was what I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, glaring would be. More sense. Number six. I got six. You got six. She got six. Uh, number six. See, there's six more weeks of winter. Why do you have a picture of me, a rabbi, and six drunken longshoremen? Why don't we just stick her in a nursing home closer to us so I don't have to drive six hours? Drink another six-pack. Number six. Only the toes knows. Florida hospital <laughs> worker accused of sucking patients' toes no. says, hey, it's all a misunderstanding. Right. That's the problem. And it's, it, so you've got this woman that's, this is why you don't want to be in a double room at a hospital. This woman who is in a room with someone else, I guess, had this guy that's hired to just watch, to sit and watch the other patient. As she's falling asleep, she feels something tug at her toes. She thought maybe, you know, you're poked and prodded all night anyways. Thought maybe the nurse was coming in looking. She looks down. It feels a little wet. She noticed there's a guy <laughs> down there sucking her toes. Um his his excuse was he dropped the phone. As sucking Whoop. toes goes, uh, if you were to pick some toes to suck on, wouldn't down far down your list be somebody in a hospital bed? Sixty five year old hospital bed? Yeah, I don't or, know. Dep- or older. Depends what you're into. That's the thing. It's a charge of battery on a person sixty five or older. Those toes, I'm not getting into. Yeah, because I've yeah, seen it's, he he said. Uh, it makes me look crazy or like creepy, and I'm not. It makes me look like I'm, you know, not a full deck of lungs. I'm not that type of dude. He said. Listen, you're into what you're into. This is America, and there's him? something for everyone. He he listens to the whole show. I know he she does. did. She it went right past her. It no. did. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Neil Savedra has joined us for our nine news nuggets. Amy King is right there. What's going on? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The nine news nuggets you need to know. Neil Saavedra has joined us. On to number five. For five minutes! I have five rules. We begin bombing in five minutes. Five little monkeys. This is the year 5.5. Do me a favor and lose five pounds immediately. I mean, just the headline alone is good enough. Right. So Chastity Daniels is... The driver. Is she a a dancer, is she? That's not nice. I'm just saying. Chastity's a beautiful name. 
there was a deputy who noticed that Chastity had broken down on Highway 71. And he goes to check up on her, help her out like a good officer of the law. And he notices the strong odor of marijuana coming from the vehicle. There was apparently a marijuana cigarette in Chastity's bra. Uh Uh-oh. After he determined she did not have a prescription for medical marijuana, no S, they found a bunch of pot in there. Ma'am, is that a dube by your boob? Oh, boy. Four minutes. Wait, wait, wait. Time, time. Commandment number four. There goes the fourth amendment. This is the same world you left for The headline was, Marijuana in Bra Leads to Bigger Bust. Four minutes. He's probably on his fourth tranquilizer by now. Commandment number four. There goes the fourth amendment. This isn't the same world you left four years ago, sir. Man in Florida, speaking of Florida, arrested on a felony battery charge, allegedly dumping a bucket of cow, cow manure on the head of a victim. Cow manure battery. Oh, come on. Now we're just making stuff up. Didn't we do that in Back to the Future? You can't drop manure on people anymore? Number three. Maybe they were three vegan. shall be the number thou shalt count, <laughs> and the number of the counting shall be three. They were dead within three hours. Three. Security clearance level three. All three of you. Three. I got all three of you guys for the rest of your natural-born lives. After about three, three days, they both start to stink. Three. Fugu. I don't know which is worse, the ingredient that was supposed to be in this container or the ingredient that wasn't. <laughs> that ended up there. Uh, I believe it's, uh, what, Niigata. Uh, they had a seafood processing firm. Uh, they recently mixed the deadly toxic fugu, which is blowfish, the ovaries into shipments of soft roe. Hmm. Do either of you know, you guys know what roe is, right? The eggs. Sure. The eggs. Do you know what soft roe is? Mm. Or soft row. I don't soft know row. if I'm going to like this. Soft row. If now, for what I know, I'll have, you can look it up and clarify if you wish. But I believe soft row is what fertilizes the egg. Oh, here's number two. What's going Stop on, it. you That's two? Pick out two fingers. Ah, we knew it was headed yeah, to the genitals. Stop it! There's two sons and no women. Two ringy dingy. Hey, how much would you? Clean up the coronavirus Diamond Princess ship for. Ooh. Because there are at least five people that have taken up a job offer to clean that Diamond Princess cruise ship for $1,000. And I'd roll it. I'd roll the five dice. Five people? Yeah. Five. <laughs> no, yeah. Seems to be a little low. I'd roll I the think dice. If, I would maybe think about doing it if I got to keep the whole ship afterwards. <laughs> like, if I clean it, I keep it. Maybe. Maybe. Here's number one. <laughs> We're number one. You're a number one. We're number one, Ben. That's all the cast. I decided to look out for number one. Are you the number one? <laughs> Row number one. Number one. Uh, number one. All right, if you're smart enough to uh, get yourself hooked on meth, um, then you're smart enough to fall for this. In Johnson City, Texas, the police department has offered to test your meth for coronavirus all you have to do is bring it into the Johnson City Police Department. <laughs> if you're doing meth, do you care about coronavirus? In Central Texas, of all places, you're doing meth? Again, I, roll the dice. I guess. They're also going to do breast exams <laughs> for cancer. <laughs> hey, have so. you voted yet, Neil? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, I mail in. Well, listen, if you're one of the smart people like Neil and me and Shannon, you can vote early. You can vote early, L.A. County residents. Go to LAVote.net. Find your most convenient location today. They're open today until 5 p.m. tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then longer hours on Tuesday because it is Super Tuesday for the primary elections. In L.A. County, check LAVote.net for all the details. John and Ken coming up next. Neil, thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. Gary and Shannon. Ciao. Ciao. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views, premium seats in all rows, and connected tech while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy nonstop routes to summer because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to 3500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, 3500 on 2020 Rogue consists of 3000 cash back and 500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 7-6-2020.